but you want to take a sip? Mm, it's so good. <laughs> good. Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Jay. And welcome to Highbrow Theater. A podcast where we analyze plays. So you don't have to. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm sorry that we're recording this so late, but I was too busy trying to catch a cat. I cannot wait to hear this saga. Okay, well, the saga is that there's actually two cats. There's two cats, and they're both hiding under a building, and I've seen them both, and I've fed them both, and now I feel like I have to rescue them both? Yeah, that seems like the next motherly step. But I'm worried. I'm like, what if there's just, like, more and more cats? What if there's, like, six cats, and, like, I'm never going to know the full scope of it, you know? Yeah, they just keep crawling. But anyway, that's what I... What have you been up to? Well, I just moved. So yeah. unpacking. You know, and I'm so over it. It took me 30 minutes to hang up a print of a chicken and a print from Kill Bill. Like, it shouldn't <laughs> be it that hard. So I, I'm not a craftsman. I don't know how to work with drywall. Did you not just use, like, oh, were they, like, in, in like, frames? Yeah. Oh, that's harder, yeah. That's not just your regular sticky stick, you know? <laughs> Should we pivot to theater time? Should we pivot to theater time? Speaking of Prince, read all about it or listen on this podcast because we're talking about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I love how in sync that was. (laughs) That was really in sync. Uh, It's almost like we were theater majors. Okay, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf by Edward Albee. Albee? Albee. I made sure to write that. So I could look back every time it's in the notes <laughs> because I knew I was going to say it wrong. That's responsible of you. I always want to say it. You know how RuPaul says Ivy Winters? Yes. <laughs> I like want to be like, Edward Albee. <laughs> then to get Janet Jackson in. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about Edward? I, this Albee? legend. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he was born on March 12th, 1928. So he's a Pisces. He, Pisces men are hot. I know. And like they're if driven. You're a Pisces man. Hey. <laughs> I actually don't know. I just kind of know my stuff. And then I'm. That's good enough for me. And he died on September 16th, 2016, at the age of 88. And I have a question. Sure. Do you want to live that long? I don't think I will. I, yeah. I almost don't want to. Um, I think the world will end first. And the cool thing about that, I was thinking about it recently, is that means that I will never have to live to be ugly. <laughs> well, that's coming up soon. So just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you got one year left. Girl. Yeah. Starting now. Yeah, once I hit 24, uh, I'm going to be hideous. That's literally me this month. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I no, guess I got to use this while I can. We're so young and sprightly. I know. Getting older by the day, though. Anyway, uh, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Mr. Edward Albee was a homosexual. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was partnered with a man who goes by the name of Jonathan Thomas. They were together from 1971 to Jonathan's death in 2005. Wow, he lived a long time. I know. They both were like, let's keep chugging. I didn't know he was gay, though. That's cool. Hell yeah. With a name like Albie, has to be gay. Uh, (laughs) So he was adopted two weeks after he was born by Reed A. Albie and his wife, Frances. Reed A. Albie. That's so many E's. I know. (laughs) So 
many E's in one name. Almost too many. Yeah, we'll, we'll let God decide. Yeah, I'm inventing a new type of person to hate, and it's a person with a bunch of E's in their name. <laughs> you just, like, pushed away so many listeners. You're right. How dare you. I have no E's in my name. You do in your full name. I have three of them. One in each. What, what's your middle name? Robert. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like that pause. I don't... <laughs> I was worried about the government. But they know it already, so it's fine. I can cut it out. <laughs> no, it's fine. The government knows my name. And probably my oh, location yeah. right now. They're like, he's back in the closet? Jesus. <laughs> he gets going in and out. And then right. Ooh, don't tell me. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so Reed's father, Edward Sr., had familial wealth, and he owned theaters in NYC. And his mother was a socialite, which, that sounds like a great pairing. Like, I want that. Um, but that means that... Mr. Edward Jr. was a product of nepotism like so many American playwrights. Yeah, we're talking to you specifically, listener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you listener with familial generational wealth and connections in NYC. <laughs> yeah, if your last name is Rockefeller, you're not welcome here. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this man, Edward Albee, was not very fond of school. I mean, who is? He went to five schools total in his life, and he was expelled from three of them. Some of them were for truancy, and another was for not attending required chapel, which, wow. bold move. I actually, I almost got expelled for truancy <laughs> in high school because I would never go to school to the point where they were sending letters <laughs> to my house that were like, if you miss any more days of school, we will take you to court. Ooh, and then you'll have, uh, nope, that doesn't make sense. I was gonna say, like, truancy Jackson VP, but I don't know how that would have worked. Anyway, okay. that's gonna be our catchphrase. That's our merch. Anyway. Anyway. So he left his home in his late teens, and he said, quote, I never felt comfortable with my adoptive parents. I don't think they knew how to be parents. I probably didn't know how to be a son either. That's so I know, and like, just, I wonder if it was because, you know what, well, I'm going to speculate. I am not a child of adoption, but I wonder if that has some effect on it. I thought you were going to say if it was because he was gay. Oh, that too. He's probably a little flouncy, so they got the hint. Yeah, they were like, mm, I don't know how I, how I feel about parenting mm -hmm. you, little, little gay boy. <laughs> that was my nickname in prison. <laughs> it probably would be. <laughs> oh my, you're so... Oh, 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 oh. I forgot the next part. In a 2008 interview, he said that he was thrown out because his parents wanted him to become, quote, a corporate thug and didn't support him being a writer. Oh, so that's literally... We, we literally are given the reason and we were just speculating. <laughs> I know, it's right underneath where I was reading. <laughs> we go off note here. Yeah. Um, we're improving. <laughs> Yes, and we're doing a good job. <laughs> Eat your heart out, UCB. <laughs> Who, CB? Exactly. <laughs> this man wrote a lot before he got recognition in the theater community. So he had nine published poems, 11 short stories and essays, a play called Schism, and a 500-page novel. And I don't think I've ever seen that many words in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, hearing all that, it almost makes me want to learn how to read <laughs> His early works had a lot of critique of heterosexual marriage, 
rightfully so, but he didn't consider himself a queer advocate, which I think is, you know, oh, well, we're getting into that. <laughs> he also said he didn't want to be known as a gay writer, just a writer who happens to be gay, which brings up internal homophobia, which is possible. Like, just because you are something doesn't mean you can't hate it, because I've gone through yeah. that too, but then I kind of push it away. Especially in contrast to the playwright we just talked about, which is Tony Kushner, whose identity is, like, very prominent in his work. Yeah. I feel like it's a, probably a generational thing because Tony Kushner is about one generation younger and he's totally different. Yeah, back then. Not to say that that does not still exist. Yeah, it's it takes some people longer than others. So the play that we are discussing, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, opened at the Billy Rose Theater on October 13th, 1962, and it closed on May 16th, 1964, and it had 664 performances. And I kind of wish it had two more. Yeah, you're right. That'd have been so cool. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a long-running play, though. Plays usually don't run that long. Yeah, they get winded. So, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Good for him. Good for him. So he has two Tony Award for Best Plays under his belt. He got it in 1963 for Virginia Woolf and in 2002 for The Goat or Who is Sylvia. That was one title, by the way. It wasn't... <laughs> Oh, okay. It I wasn't that. the goat or. Yeah. <laughs> Birdman. My favorite one is Birds of Prey or the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> like, that's a movie title. Fantabulous. <laughs> yeah, right. That movie's so good. Okay. Sorry. You were saying? Anyway. <laughs> oh, I was just saying that that's a lot. I mean, how many playwrights win Best Play twice? I feel like that's pretty rare. Yeah, because usually it's like. Yeah. Maybe people do. They, like, that's their big thing, and everyone keeps comparing it to that. Right, and, like, it'll still get, like, critical, you know, it'll get attention, but it won't get a Tony. Although, I gotta be honest, I don't watch the Tonys, so I never know who wins. <laughs> Is that taboo of me? Is that, that's, theater people are gonna be like, <gasps> I think in order for this podcast to remain bisexual, I have to say that I watch the Tonys. So. <laughs> well, you do, don't you? Yeah. No, I don't, like. Okay. make a bracket and like vote what I think but like I enjoy it okay that's fair I think of the award shows the Tonys are the best because they have really good live performances mm -hmm. however I think all award shows are really good <gasps> that's like my playoffs like I love that see now we're bisexual again <laughs> now we're bisexual because I'm I'm so sporty and masculine and you like such girly things like movies and plays <laughs> well I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> so this play was also made into a film, and it won five Oscars. And, and that includes Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> and in the black and white category, so there was black and white and in-color categories at this time. It won wow, that's cool. art direction, cinematography, and costume design. Yeah, Elizabeth Taylor was in this. Darn tootin'. Big all, big all ET. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. That's her nickname, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, she's in that movie too. She's in that movie too. It's about her life. What? <laughs> Are you lying to me? <laughs> she's not in ET. <laughs> oh, I thought she was like a mom or something. No, no, she, no. I think she had retired from acting at that point. Speaking of uh, retiring, or the opposite, the 2012 revival of 
Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, won the Tony for Best Revival of a Play. And I think that just shows the staying power this play has. Oh, people love this play. Yeah, so... People lose their minds. We have to tread lightly. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We can't offend the old people that really like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And the young people who also like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. No, you're right. You're right, you're right. (sighs) Oh, this is gossip. Get into this. So the play was selected for the Pulitzer Prize in Drama in 1963 by the jury of said prize, but the advisory committee decided to not award a drama award at all that year, which caused the two members of the uh, Pulitzer jury to resign in protest. So I wonder if not rewarding the drama award was because of that, or there was just everything. I'm guessing it was because of that. Yeah, maybe it was just a corrupt jury that year. (sighs) Trying to drain the swamp. All right, so he did win three others in drama, one for A Delicate Balance, the other was Seascape, and the other other was Three Tall Women. Um, one, that's a good name for a yes. play. And two, it seems like this Edward Albee guy um, is one we should pay attention yeah. to. Yeah, huh? he's uh, winning those awards. Yeah, that's a lot of awards. Like, the, I'm going to say, how do you say Pulitzer? I just like saying Pulitzer. So he re- received, congrats, he... <laughs> He received the Lifetime Achievement Tony in 2005. So he had 33 staged works that were written or adapted by him. Some highlights. One was the book for the Breakfast at Tiffany's musical. And he wrote the play Lolita. I didn't know that Breakfast at Tiffany's had a musical. I wonder if that did well. Yeah. I guess it didn't, or maybe we didn't I know, know it's not one of those, like, classics. Well, that about wraps up, uh... <laughs> my section. So I'm going to toss this koosh ball over to Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'll edit it out. <laughs> no, you got to keep it in. <laughs> okay, I'll Do whatever you want. Who cares? Okay. Yeah, I drive this boat. <laughs> um, but it's time for the synopsis. So, George is an assistant professor in the history department of an East Coast college, and his wife, Martha, is the daughter of this college's president. And they were just at a faculty party thrown by Martha's father. And they come home, and they're kind of bickering. And Martha reveals that she's invited a couple they met at the party over for a drink, even though it's like 2 in the morning, which I don't – that's the most important part about this play because these people are in their 50s, and they would be in bed. I don't even stay up until 2, and I'm yeah. not even 23. So that's silly. Um, but this couple that they invite over is Nick and Honey. Nick is a new and young faculty member in the Department of Biology at this same unnamed college. And his wife, Honey, is like a a priest heiress. <laughs> oh, is that from your D&D campaign? <laughs> oh my God. Basically, her, her dad was a, like a traveling like priest. And somehow he acquired a lot of money this way, um, which I guess is a criticism of the church. And she lives off of his money. Anyway, Honey's barely yeah. in this play. She doesn't really She's off puking for so long. <laughs> she literally, she comes on stage to say that she's puking and then leaves again. She, she's, in, she's interesting, though. I do want to talk about her. As the evening progresses, Martha and George do this thing that they call a game, which is basically they're just trying to, like, hurt yeah. each other's feelings. The this most, this is what straight game. comedians and talk about. They do exactly this. Yeah, it literally is. They're like, oh, oh the my old bow and chain. <laughs> it is pretty horrible. They're really mean to each other, and they bring up like the most sensitive things in like the yeah. person's life. 
God, they kept sort of pull Honey and Nick into this weird, twisted game. Because Honey is really drunk and she doesn't know what's going on. And Nick, because Martha is clearly, as soon as he walks in, like, interested in him sexually. Which George, her husband, notices and sort of, like, feels he has to challenge him because of this. Because he's gonna, you know, shag his wife. As the play goes on, this game gets more intense and it results in a lot of really bad stuff like literally all four of them dog pile on each other on the floor at one point in a fight and they just like humiliate the shit out of each other all night and nobody leaves <laughs> i would have been out of there immediately it's a i would have walked into that place and like smelled the toxins and been like Wait, i want to get have out you seen the movie i'm thinking of ending things this seems yes. kind of like that like things just keep repeating and like Bad things keep happening, but no one does anything about it. Yeah, no, I see that. That makes sense. I hope... I hope that was smart. (laughs) Eventually, George takes it too far, and he upsets Martha by saying that their, like, imaginary son is dead, which we'll get into him later. So he kills, like, the imaginary son. They have an imaginary Mm -hmm. son. And Martha is sort of overwhelmed by this sort of, like, breach of her and George's shared reality. And Honey and Nick are respectful of this, so they leave, and then Martha and George are left just with each other in a very brief final scene. All the the ellipses. Yeah, and it's like, this whole thing is spoken softly. It's just like, I don't know, it's a really upsetting play in a different way than the, the other plays we've done have been because those are really upsetting on, like, a epic, like, systemic level. Like, this thing, they're really commenting about society, but this play is about how, like, intimate relationships, like, wear mm. you down. Uh, no, I don't, I'm just, <laughs> not mine, but... <laughs> I was going to hear you make that noise and be like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but like I see that in relationships that I have seen. Yeah, I see that in mm-hmm. marriages, absolutely. And it really sucks. It's just about these people that are like, oh, well, let's yeah. talk about what it's about. I feel that it is about, well, they talk about a lot about history. And I feel like it's about history and how your history never lets go of you. And it's also about like weaponizing other people's trauma or your own. Oh, yeah. Which is so fascinating because like in certain points you'll see one of the married couple choosing to be vulnerable because like by being vulnerable they can like get the upper hand it's very twisted it's a very like psychological and very very intense play which i was not expecting i thought it was going to be super boring also i love doing this because you're bringing out thoughts that i didn't think i know but it's just so cool (laughs) oh my god we just invented having a conversation (laughs) Oh my god, get that patent in now. (laughs) Excuse me. Mr. Patton? Patent office? Yeah, but this play is, it's so intense, and it's really sexual, and it's really violent, and I was not expecting this because, like, okay, so, I don't want to go into detail, but for a period of my life, I was really into the Dick Van Dyke (laughs) show, and this period happened to be most of spring semester last year. (laughs) You are so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, um, but anyway, I got really into the Dick Van Dyke show. Okay, that's fine. Right. Do, do your thing. But I, I got really into the Dick Van Dyke show. And Dick Van Dyke show started, and it ran for like, I don't know, eight years or something. And it started in 1961. And this show, this play, was written in 1962. And like the image of America that like the Dick Van Dyke show presents, where like Kim and Mary Tavon Moore like sleep in separate king beds and they like peck each other on the cheek only, and like everyone's wearing stockings. 
like that's the same time period as this play. Oh, so, yeah. So it's, it was like a, interesting. The challenging the status quo gets the attention. Yeah, this play is very very racy because shows like that, like the Dick Van Dyke shows, were really popular because they were like really pure, and it just goes to show that theater has always been like subversive, yeah. which is really cool. Dang, I love this. Anyway, I have a crush on Dick Van Dyke and the Time of and that's why I watched. <laughs> like at that <laughs> age, where in their shows or now, okay. Yeah, in their shows, and they're both also well. Mary Tyler Moore, I think, died, but Dick Van Dyke is still alive, and he looks good for like whatever <laughs> eighty nine. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this play? What did you feel like when you were reading it? I felt like there was a lot that I wasn't getting. Like I knew there was something, but I wasn't. I guess diving deep enough, I was just kind of reading it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you have trouble with, like, the sun? A little. Stuff? Yeah, because I guess I didn't expect this play to be so absurd. And I guess I wasn't yeah. ready to accept that. Yeah, well, let's talk about the sun. So, throughout the play, George, like, tells Martha, he's like, well, you better not bring up our son to the guests. And then she does bring up the son of the guests, and they, she talks about how, like, it's his birthday tomorrow, and he's turning 21. And she talks in detail about his childhood, and George keeps being like, you can't bring him up. You can't bring him up. And is, like, really vehement about it, which is really weird. And then, at the end of the play, when George says that the son has died, just, like, talking out of his ass. And Martha, like, accepts this as truth in a way that insinuates that the son is, like, a shared mm-hmm. imaginary thing. Like, they talked about, like, having a son because apparently they can't have children, which is, like, also hinted at at the end of the play. But it is very, like, I was not expecting it. Yeah, I was wondering if it's, like, that was the thing keeping them together, even though they were horrible to each other. It was, like, the image of, like, oh, kids. we have this son. Yeah, but it's so bizarre because, like, I don't know. I think, I guess it's supposed to be symbolic of, like, sort of how you form a reality with someone Mm -hmm. that you're in an intimate relationship with. Like, there is, like, the way that you are around each other is different than the way that you are around anyone else. And, like, I don't know. Like, it's almost like they've gotten so used to this reality, even though it's delusional in the case of, like, the sun, that they're like, oh, we can't leave because we have our own world. I I just think, like, like last time and the time before, just people can create this stuff. Like, they dig deep down in their soul, and they just put it on paper. That is... Yeah, it's crazy. Are really good at writing. That's the best, like. No, but it is really, it's really impressive. And this is another one that's really, every single line again is like so intentional. Like you have to pay attention to everything, or you're gonna miss what it all means. And it's so like, even though I did wonder throughout the play, like why don't they leave? I it like made sense. It was such a compelling, like the way that they suck Nick and Honey into their dynamic to the point where like Nick almost wants to like succeed and like and like impress George. Is that why? He helps him cuck. Well, yeah, I feel like, did you notice that, though? It was to the point where, like, they were almost, like, Nick wanted to, like, be his, like, protege in this, like, sick art of, like, hurting people. Yeah, I wonder if that's, hmm, probably not, but I'm thinking, I don't know, a comment on men competition with each other. Oh, you're right, because the way, yeah, George, like, envies Nick because Nick is new and he's young and he's, like, really ambitious and he just started at the university, and George feels inadequate because he has not achieved anything. And there's, like, also this thing of, like, being like, oh, like, 
The young and pretty ones are boring, but the old and depressed ones are cool. <laughs> he's like, this boy has no depth because he's not old and weird like me. Yeah, and I wonder if George says, like, I didn't succeed at much, but if I take this thing and, like, foster it because I know it's going to grow, then it looks good on me. Um, who should we talk about now? Should we talk about oh, Honey? Honey Mahogany coming at you. That's the one. Um, now I'm super interested in her, which I don't think we're supposed to be. I think she's not supposed to be important. But there's this one part where George and Martha are being really mean to each other. And Honey, this like drunk housewife, is just shouting, like chanting the word violence. <laughs> she's like, violence, violence. <laughs> and that's like, this woman is bloodthirsty. Like she wants, she wants this couple to like fight her husband. It's very bizarre. And then she's, like, also flirting with George at one point. He, like, keeps calling her, like, sexy tits. And she's, like, oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a crisscross. Yeah. And she's also constantly yeah. throwing up, um, which, <laughs> me too. That happens to me. I haven't thrown up since ninth grade. Are we done with honey? <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, who do you want to talk about now? Can we talk about Martha? Martha. Martha also is fucking weird. She's so <laughs> horny. Cool. It's cool that she's, like, you don't get to see older women portrayed like this that often, I don't think. Like, very complex and, like, very, like, in tune with their sexuality. Yep. Because she's, like, 52. And it's interesting coming from a man's perspective. Yeah, definitely. Because, well, Martha is, like, viewed as sexy. Like, she's meant to be, like, a sort of, like, femme fatale. Like, that's her vibe. And it's cool that she's, like, a lady in her 50s. And they say, like, she's not thin. So, like, I don't know. I just think it's cool that she's, like, Yeah, like, hot. work it. <laughs> yeah, work it, Grandma. <laughs> so they imply throughout the play that Martha's the one who kind of, like, I guess abuses George. Like, she sort of instigates. At least that's what George says. He might be an unreliable source. <laughs> he probably is. But he's always like, you started this game, Martha. You'll finish mm -hmm. it. Like, that kind of thing. And that's interesting because... Martha, like, says that George is the only man she's ever loved, and then she says, like, that she totally just, like, reviles him, like, she hates everything about him, but also, he's the best. She has, like, a really weird monologue about that, so, I've never been married. I imagine you have really complicated feelings about your spouse, especially in a marriage that's not going well, um, so I can't really I know, speak but that. speculating, I feel like there's definitely a societal pressure, and if someone's like, ooh, she's divorced, you know, like society's like Ooh, yeah. they couldn't keep it together so you try so hard i feel like part of it is a public image thing you know yeah and i think this plays about that too the way it's about you know they're this perfect couple she's the daughter of the president of the university and he's a professor and they go to these faculty parties and then they come home yeah. and they do this <laughs> so i think it's yeah it's about also oh can we talk about the martha and oh Mary yeah thing? um i don't I didn't really have any evolved thoughts. I just kind of wanted to put words to it, I guess. Yeah, so the characters' names are George and Martha, obviously. And another famous couple are George yeah. and Martha Washington. <laughs> the most famous. You may have heard of them. Um, no, they're not. It's Kim and Kanye. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they. it was like first president. You know, like that. that's a big thing. So I'm wondering if that's... Yeah him trying to achieve that i think it's almost saying like oh well, i don't know almost the like ubiquity of like of suffering of marriage because you think george and martha washington who are you know our founding fathers their first president they're like 
they're like this wholesome image of like yep. perfection, right? So he names his characters George and Martha, and then he has them come home and be like absolutely horrible to each other, and just like absolutely disgusting people. So I feel like he's just saying, if if the Washingtons are like this, what are we like? Pulling back the veil, if you will, the black veil bride. Yeah, but I think that's interesting. I didn't notice it until I saw it written in your notes. So um, we shared <laughs> too. It's pretty anyone thick. Anyone wanted to know? It is pretty thick, yeah. What you have a lot about? of uh, um, quotes written down. I do have a lot of quotes. One that I was really excited about was they repeatedly call each other <laughs> simps. <laughs> and I was like, I know that word. But I'd never seen it. It means, I looked it up, like the old meaning um, is not the current meaning. It means like just a fool. I mean, like, ah, not much has changed. Yeah, but she calls her husband a simp, which I think and is also, yeah, because he is pretty true. Yeah, but most of my quotes are about there any good ones. There's a whole thing where Nick and Nick and George go back and forth, where they'll be like, they'll be talking about their wives, and one of them will like say they're like, oh, you're talking about why my wife, and then they'll say that Martha is George's <laughs> wife. <laughs> so, so, so George will be like, my wife is Martha, and Nick will be like, I know, and then later. Um, they're having a different conversation, and Nick is like, your wife is Martha, and George is like, I know. It's So, we're seeing this competition between the two men, and ultimately Nick sleeps with Martha. Did I say I that? I think we made a joke about it earlier. <laughs> okay, so, at a certain point, while Honey is puking, her husband gets railed by this, like, hot, older woman. Don't say railed. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So I mean, I guess. And it's weird because basically George and Martha, Martha's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep with this guy. And George is like, <laughs> bet. <laughs> oh my God. And Martha's like, yeah, I actually will. And George is like, no, you won't. And then she does. Um, <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? But it's weird because, like, it's only a four-person party. You know, can't have what's sex a with swinger? a four-person party. But, like, a four-person party is, like, you have to look at your crush. You're just in a square. <laughs> oh, there's also a lot about Nick is a biologist and he works with chromosomes apparently. And they're talking about like the new order is like Nick's gonna Nick's new and young and he's gonna change chromosomes and he's gonna help create like a perfect oh, yeah. race of people like him. Oof. While George while George like ages and like disapproves of it. It's sort of this like I don't know, this age comparison of like, oh, like, I'll never do what you're doing because I'm old. There's a lot of talk about age. It's kind of, yeah, I feel like it's a play about aging and how Yeah, and like looking up at someone older and looking down at someone younger. Yeah, and seeing, like, being an older person and seeing like, oh, here's a young person who's doing yeah. what I never did. That's a lot. That's heavy. Which I imagine sucks. I'm pretty young right now. Someday I won't be. And I'm sure that I will have difficult feelings about it is that your tinder profile i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. oh my god it should be for all the 30 year olds who always <laughs> sleep on me you know what i do when i'm on tinder which i'm not on right now but I'm, when i am <laughs> but when i am i set my preferences really high like i'll set it from like 21 to like 38 or even like 45 only because when I see the 45-year-olds who have their settings set all the way down to 22, I want to look at them and be like, you're gross. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see them and, like, swipe left. You want them to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you what were we talking about? Oh, you, okay. 
I don't want this to make light of eugenics. It's did. just that we got so far off topic. Oh yeah. Um, I hate that I took eugenics to just talking about <laughs> myself. <laughs> oh, so the thing they keep saying in there is, "Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf?" Like that gets repeated and repeated. And at the very end, it was Martha who's like, "I am." <laughs> I know, Mimi. I'm me, first. Me, me. But I think I looked up who Virginia Woolf was, and she was very, like, realistic and, like, lovey and kind of stream of consciousness, which I think is the opposite of what this entire relationship is. Like, she's just stream of consciousness, free flow, and they're stuck. Yeah, she writes all, yeah, like, no lovey, fun stuff, and that's not them. Yeah, I haven't read much Virginia Woolf. I've made it through, like, half of The <laughs> Lighthouse, which is one of her books. So I don't know that I understand the Virginia Woolf reference, um, but what you said makes sense. I, I feel like she was like, Virginia Woolf was yeah. like an enlightened thinker, right? She was someone who was looking to grow and better herself until she killed herself. We won't talk about that part. It's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> oh, why were they exercising something? Why did I write that? Oh, because the last, the third oh. act is Oh, well, I want to, can we talk about uh, the act titles? Yes! So I think... The, well, the first is called Fun and Games, and I think that's kind of setting uh, our expectations to be thrown out. Like, it's fun and games, so? like, woohoo, and then they convene and, like, have a party, and then it just crashes. Yeah, I also feel like it is ominous, though. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that's just because I knew the play a little bit. I knew it was about, like, a weird party. But being like, then being like, fun and games. Like, I feel like yeah, that never and if it was like a horror movie, that's never a good sign. They're like, ooh, enter the, the fun, fun, happy store. <laughs> the like, what? <laughs> the fun foot happy store? <laughs> yeah, like in a, in a horror movie, they're like, oh, come to oh, this safe, happy, yeah, fun place. But it's not. The second act is called Walpurgisnacht, German. So it's a cool. celebration in Germany, <laughs> one could say. So children and adults dress up as witches, and communal bonfires are lit. Uh, at midnight, the official start of spring is heralded by setting off fireworks, dancing, and playing loud music, all said to drive the witches and winter spirits away. Oh, so it's yeah. the spring Halloween. And, but it can also be kind of used <laughs> as a descriptor for something, and that means it has a nightmarish quality to it. So that's a Walpurgisnacht uh, if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Um, well, that's cool. Well, the second act, it's interesting. So the first act ends in them getting in this a physical fight. <laughs> With, like, puffs of fight. smoke or, like, clouds then... surrounding it. There are different limbs <laughs> popping out. It was crazy. You've got to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it says. But so it ends on that, and then it, act two ends with the seduction of Nick by Martha. And throughout act two, there's a lot of, like, George keeps basically asking Nick if he's going to fuck his wife and Nick keeps like basically saying yes um, but they keep doing it in really twisted ways and he's like you know if you want to get a head around here you ought to fuck my wife and Nick's like oh yeah I better shouldn't I and George is like yeah and they just it's so it's this weird where they're like oh they're joking they're joking but like they're yeah it's like the nepotism joking. with Edward Albee yeah oh, he's projecting he, well he is projecting because he's like it almost sounds like he's saying that people who want to get ahead have to play yeah. dirty if they're not born into it. But also, I just Maybe remembered what I said earlier, I that he 
like to critique heterosexual marriage. So I think that is an over. That's true. That's true. A, what do I want to? It's like an overlaying feature, a motif, if you will. <laughs> motif, less teeth. Oh, oh, nepotism, and he was projecting. Oh yeah, I mean maybe I don't really know. I don't know what he was making. Here's the thing: it's like if and this is gonna sound stupid, but like when you're reading a play of a very different time, you almost have to like do research on like that year to like catch yeah. all the comments it's making which you do if you're putting on the show like you do dramaturgy obviously and if you're studying the play you also study the context but we're not studying it so we're just reading it kind of without the aid of of more education so i feel like of course we missed some commentary on like the state of the nation in 1962 yeah. like i'm not going to know that i mean i was born that year but i didn't really understand it <laughs> i mean i got paying attention year, but, like, i wasn't really paying attention <laughs> we were also talking about critique of uh heterosexual marriage that was later than what we just talked about yes that's true um but also i wonder if it's like again. he's writing what straight people he's writing how straight people think gay people act because like they're just like yeah. making a mockery I of guess. it and fucking each other and like puking i don't know how that works but it's probably something maybe i feel like he might just be saying like that i mean the thing is like heterosexual marriage is like it's an institution of patriarchy in the way that gay marriage isn't like there's connections in heterosexual marriage of like power and like ownership and that doesn't exist in a gay marriage because there's not at least in western culture like precedent for it so i think he's talking about like within the institution of marriage there are like power dynamics inherent and there are like certain behaviors that are inherent because of like the situation that it's in yes final closing thought this is one that what wait will you will you do your oh stuff? i forgot will you do your oh no no question? no oh <laughs> wait wait i have one that's really stupid <laughs> okay I, oh my god oh my god oh my Go god do it, do it. <laughs> this play has everything honey nick Martha, George, Dan Cortez. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think this play is about marriage and aging and a lot of other stuff. And you've probably heard of it. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, everyone, yes. for listening. Wraps Maybe it up like a present, which we just gave you. Ooh, you got your theater knowledge for Christmas. Yeah, um, that's worse than coal. <laughs> um, if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Twitter at Highbrow Theater. If you like the show, if you didn't like the show, I don't care. Just please subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> also, write a uh, five-star review. That'd be so fun. I want my first yeah. review. Oh, write a review and, and make it a haiku. That's how we know your true stands. Yeah, that's how we know that you're a stan, is if you write a haiku review. But if you're going to subscribe, do so on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all of them. All of them. I think. There's probably more that we're on. We're on most of them. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> all right. So if you'd like to support our work as uh, artists who don't have work, there is a link in the podcast description. Yay! Oh, we did it. We did it. All right. Let's give us a high five. Okay, ready? Mm hmm. <laughs> that was closer than usual. I know, you're right.